Hey, this is Jennifer. Thanks for tuning in to the True and Beautiful podcast. This is an episode that I recorded with my friend Pam Bolt over a year ago. This was one of the first episodes that I ever recorded. Pam is a wonderful friend of mine now, and at the time, we were just getting to know one another. But I will tell you that from the beginning of the idea of this project, she has been a great cheerleader for me. She's definitely one of my courage builders. I hope you enjoy. So at this point in my life, I am so interested in a chain of events, like seeing how people have maybe ridden on a particular ride or gone down a particular road and then things happen and things change and how that all comes about. Yeah. And so you have fantastically agreed to tell your story about how you have arrived where you are. So I just have to say before that, yeah, you told me your idea, chain of events, and I loved it. I loved the language. I liked thinking about it since we had talked together, just mapping out mm-hmm. how God would move somebody like me from A to B. Mm-hmm. Right? It's awesome. Yeah. Good. Thanks. Yeah. So I guess, do you want to just start maybe, okay, where were you in your life? What was happening when you started changing course? Sure. Even if I stay with that language of moving from A to B, right? So my point A was really very much, I feel like I was very blessed and had so many privileges in my childhood. I had good family and was raised in faith and good school, all of that. As I came through in my teens and young adults, what sort of blossomed up in me was fear. My beginning place was some place of the wind at my back, so to speak, and tremendous fear. And my B, the place where God moved me, I feel, I think, is to this work that I've been at for about 10 years as a therapist. I work at a local group practice and get to partner every day with teens through older adults working with mood disorder, trauma issues, questions of faith, relationship concerns. Wow. Did you have to work through personal things yourself before you got to, or was the working part of your Yeah, so maybe for some people that's a linear journey to Uh set your mind on becoming a therapist and then you walk the track and you do that. For me, it completely was not. So I started in undergrad. I knew I had a very clear sense that I wanted to help people. But if you had asked me to flush that out, I would not have been able to articulate anything else. I think I was in that crowd that wanted to make a difference but did not have any clarity of what sorts of things I might be doing or not. So I got my bachelor's in social work, and then that fear that I mentioned earlier really took hold. So the next step for somebody like me would be grad school. And it sounds a bit dramatic, but I couldn't do Uh it. It was a spirit of fear. Uh So I tucked it away, and I convinced myself I was interested in doing other things instead. And for about 15 years, I did other things instead. Good things. Yes. And I, I know that was part of God's plan as well. And then I got to the other side of 
some family life. And there's that same longing. I feel like there's something I would do that's bigger. And there's that same fear Uh and not gone away for me. Uh Tried to wait it out. And there it was. Wow. So you had to decide. So I had to decide. And I actually gave myself a window of time. I looked at different things. Like one of my ideas was to be a librarian. That sounded a lot awesome. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And I really sometimes think maybe I should have been a librarian. But most of my friends laughed at me for that one. And the more I gave myself space to ask questions, the more I was drawn again to mental health. And I didn't know if that draw was the voice of the Lord Uh or that I was stuck and inflexible. I couldn't quite tease that out, Uh but I could not shake it off that I would move toward becoming some sort of professional in the field of mental health. Did you invite other people into the process of figuring it out? I did. I did. And that, I think, was invaluable to me. When my mind was rooted in fear, one of the things looking back, I would lose sight of even my own strengths and mm-hmm. abilities. The fear, it's literally like clouds the glass. Mm-hmm. And you can't see And so I did. I sought out some professional guidance. I actually went back to the career center at my college. They were so helpful. I sought out family and friends. I did some coffee dates and asked questions. One of the stories that was so helpful, and I've shared it with you because you've reflected it back with me. You probably know what I'm going to say, but I was actually talking to a psychologist And I laid out my situation and she nodded her head and she Mm. said, oh, you need my will of God speech. And I was pretty much on the edge of my seat at that point. I didn't know what she was saying. I haven't heard this story. Oh, I have? Okay. Okay. See if it connects. Okay. And I said, I think I do. And she said, it's like your car and you're parked in the garage. Remember? Yes. Yeah. And she said, if you stay parked in the garage, you won't get any new information. You can't tell what to do. She said, you just got to put the car in drive. And even if you head off in the wrong direction, you can trust that God would direct you. And I can remember something in me releasing a bit because that was something I could do. Yeah. I think my mind wanted to chart out a course to feel confident toward that, that is not how it went for me. Uh But when this person and others gave me permission, just take the next step Uh and then see that I could do. Uh And that helped me start to put something. That resonates with me. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So do, do you think that is the way that it happens for most people? I suppose there are people who just have clarity all the way down the line, but I don't. No, I don't know. When you say it resonates with you, how so? I also struggle with fear of many different kinds and have and am growing out of spirit of fear and claiming a different spirit. But one of those fears is the fear failure. So if I make a goal, say, for instance, to write whatever that looks like. And I go for that. And I, what if I find out that I don't have it? You know, I'm not who I 
thought that I had been made to be. So fear of failure, and then also just fear of just being wrong. So for you, uh, you're the example that she gave to you. There's not a right or wrong. It's just a, a little step. So the outcome isn't what I have my sight set on or where I'm going. It's just the very next thing that I can see. Ooh, I like that. That's really well said. I think some of what deterred me, uh-huh. what kept me from that sort of clear-minded statement that you just made is this idea that if I were to move in God's will, I would feel a sense of peace. And for me, almost always when I move towards something unknown or new that I haven't yet mastered, I feel fear. So for me, I had to have permission to feel that and to take the next step, right? The more and more you took the next step and then the next one and the next one, Did it get easier? Did the fear diminish? It did. Not as fast as I would have liked. So when I applied for graduate school, my kids had entered elementary school and I had done the work and thought, okay, I don't know where this is going to bring me, but I'm going to go ahead and apply for graduate school Mm. and give myself permission to stop or change at any point. And I actually had a severe panic response. Uh, I threw up on that day. And also, I knew this is a spirit of fear. Yeah. And it almost, that almost freed me because I sat down, I named it, I prayed against it, and I never had that kind of response ever again. Really? So there was an element once I had decided I'm going to go forward never did I have that kind of intensity again. So certainly then along the way, what worked for me is just do this class, just do this internship. And I very much had to do one step at a time. It seemed if I could break it down into pieces, Uh I really enjoyed the journey once Uh I got things moving forward. So a couple of thoughts came into my mind when you said that. I read a book called Sea Stories by Admiral William McRaven, and he was talking about Hell Week. He was a Navy SEAL, and he was talking about this initiation week that he had to go through. He said that the guys who thought about it like in a big chunk, like in just all in one, like I have to get through the week didn't make it. They rang the bell. They couldn't make themselves get that far ahead. So what he learned was, and this is one of the things that I took away from the book that was so big for me that I could apply in different areas of my life, but one evolution at a time. Yeah. So just the very next thing, I'm not even going to think about tomorrow or this afternoon or anything like that. One evolution at a time. What What's asked of me right now? Yeah. And let's just get through that and then get through the next and get through the next. And that's how he made it. I love whole- sometimes with clients when we're working on creating movement, motivation in the self, I'll use the metaphor of food. So if you were to put in front of me all the food I was meant to eat in the next month, and you said, Pam, I need you to eat this, I would be overwhelmed. Yes. And I probably wouldn't take a single bite. Yeah. But if you put one nice breakfast for me on a little plate and said, just this, I would be pretty excited about that. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. 
You are talking about part of your journey is moving from fear and stuck to action. Yes. Although the only thing I would add, I think the word stuck fits, but I would add to it, mine was a quiet avoidance. Oh, interesting. So in those 15 years, I did a lot of things that I feel proud of, including having my three children. I don't know that I even did anything wrong, but I know for sure that I was denying to myself that I had let something go. And I mention that because sometimes in my own life or in my work, I'm reminding people that it is good, it is okay to tune into longings. Uh I think that's what comes first. I think that's often how the Holy Spirit would draw us out. Uh And for me, there was a pretty long season of, I don't want to acknowledge that. Uh That would be risky for me. So there was a lot of brushing aside what I think was very much a wired and longing from the Lord. Or stuck. They both were. They both right. Were, yeah. What was the risk? One time my husband asked me, what are you afraid of? He was trying to be helpful to me. And it was the first time I really went there. And what I came to was fear. I'm afraid of fear mm-hmm. that I would go forward toward a role, toward something that I might be overwhelmed. Yeah. That I would bite off more than I could chew, maybe. I think my fear really was finding myself in an overwhelmed place. Yeah. And then what would you do? And then what would I do? Yeah. Yeah. And to that point, you do get to that place. Again, when fear clouds the glass for us, we forget that God's going to also bring in resources as he calls us to carry heavier weight. He brings to us greater resources to do. And my 20-year-old brain couldn't fathom that. Right. Yeah. Did you know, when did you come to an awareness of the fact that fear was such a factor? That's such a good question. I think it was in my 30s. I did not have language for anxiety I could plug along in life and do the things I was meant to do. I remember starting to pull people in my life, my siblings, my friends, are you content? Oh, you would ask them this question? Yeah. And of course, you know, it's an interesting dinner uh-huh, <laughs> conversation. Uh-huh. But what I was getting at was a beginning awareness. I feel something that I would like to not feel so much. I didn't have language for it. But at that point, there was some space and maybe some ability to be able to start to talk about that and then landed on, do you think I have anxiety? But I didn't have language for that in my 20s. So even like the step to invite the conversation or just to say it out loud, to get it out of your body and to ask the question, that takes bravery to get there. That's big, right? Because you're opening up the door. That's big. Yeah. So can I ask, do you think the whole fear thing, is that personality? Or uh, I know. What do you think? <laughs> okay. So, That's such a good question. Well, I'm, it's just a kind of cake ingredients all mixed up or whatever to make a person who they are. But 
So I'm on nine on the Enneagram. Oh, yeah. So that is the need to avoid, conflict avoidant, peacemaker. When that looks healthy, that looks great. Doesn't when it's not healthy, it it means peacekeeping <laughs> and eggshell walking. That's hard work, and, right? Yeah. <laughs> what feels fearful to me, and and part of that I think is yeah, who I am built to be, but also my uh, my growing up atmosphere played a part. My family of origin and stuff. But I react differently to things than, say, my husband. So Jeremy's an eight on the Enneagram. He's a challenger. And he just moves through it. He is a fighter. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. No, I think you articulate it really well. It's all of it. Yes. And I think the frame that I put around it is that fear, it's not adverse. It's not the enemy. So as an emotion, it's so helpful. Even anxiety, we sometimes call it the disorder of really good people. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Sets us out to try to do things so well. So with fear, often what's happening is that in our brain, we go up into our fight or flight response mode. And so I think what you're saying is right, biology, personality, and also early attachment, right? And it all kind of wires in how quickly do I go up into my fight or flight mode? And when I do, how intensely do I feel that? And then how quickly do I can I bring my nervous system back down again? So in short, my work as a therapist you could call it that. I was partnering with people to know more quickly what's happening in the nervous system. Is it helpful? Sometimes it's exactly what needs to be happening. My my nervous system is cueing me for good reason to be on alert. Other times it's not helpful to me. And then I need to have the skill set to bring myself back down so I can so interesting. enjoy the moment, if you will. Uh, and move through it with confidence and yeah. That's right. That's right. But I think back to our moving from A to B, I wanted to have that all settled down. And then I would set out to do great things for God. And then I would do great things for God. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) And that's why I was waiting around for 15 Uh uh years. Uh And I really. Until you felt capable? Or I didn't. 15 years into it was when I realized it's not going to settle down. Yeah. I'm going to have to go forward with all of this. And that to me is powerful for anybody who has a more cautious spirit or hesitant toward change. I'm thinking of my sister-in-law and she sat in my living room years ago and asked the question, could I ever go to seminary? Yeah. Herself, she's herself, asking. Okay, herself, she had been an English teacher okay. and felt a longing, a pull. And she set out and she did seminary. And then when she started preaching, she started having panic attacks. Uh-huh. Now there's a lot of people in the world that would say to you, let it go. You don't have to do this. Uh-huh. 
Thankfully, she had a really good mentor who handed her an article from the 1700s. Oh, wow. And it was the fainting spells of new preachers. Really? And that is all she needed. Game on. Wow. She thought if it's spiritual warfare, if it's my own spirit of fear, and pretty quickly as she decided, I'm going to feel it, but I'm not going to listen to it, it really settled down for her. I'm going to feel, but I'm not going to listen. Yeah. So did then, maybe not, but does the feel go away eventually or get, you just, no, it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) I'm answering my own question, I think. You just learn to say, see ya. I feel most days now, I don't feel anxiety. That's why I love my work. And I can tell you, if you are listening and think, should I go to therapy I would tell you race to it because it works. Uh-huh. Last night, the last person I talked to, she came in and she said, I feel better. I didn't know that I could ever feel better. So, wow. yes. Wow. And also, we know from scripture that God invites us to abundant life yeah. to feel all the feels. Yes. So even now, if I get my life to where it's void of fear or anger, probably I'm pulled back, Yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You mean you're hiding from something? Probably, because to be living abundantly, yeah. usually you're stretching a bit, yeah. you're serving, you're, it feels much more messy when we're really out there and uh-huh. in it, I think. And yeah. That's so interesting because... I think the, especially I would say, maybe when I was a younger woman, a younger mom, what I wanted was the comfortable life. And it doesn't feel unsafe or risky. It just works like it's supposed to, whatever in the world that means. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea that comfort isn't, my calling. Do you think if you could have hammered out a comfortable life, do you think you would have been content with that? I'm curious. No, because I think my definition of a comfortable life was wrong. I, okay. So Jeremy and I in 2017 went to counseling after 21 years of marriage, we blew up. We world war three and it was just a big deal. And our pastor led us to a counselor in Wheaton, and he's just wonderful. And as we started, we had to fill out this 14-page questionnaire that took forever, hours and hours, I think, four or five hours for me, probably. But one of the questions was like, what's your kind of your paradise in your head? What's happening? And so seriously, sounds ridiculous, but I said, I have a beautiful garden with lots of colorful flowers. I have a lovely home. I am, my husband and I are soulmates. Like we're there. Yeah. And so to me that there was a comfort in what I was looking for, but it was a satisfaction really in life that I was looking for relationally Um, And also in regard to beauty. And nirvana, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh My kind of bliss land or whatever. But previously, as a younger woman, the comfort that I was looking for was 
it didn't expand me. If I played that kind of a life out, then it doesn't end up where I would want it to end up. Another thought you had said, where does fear come from? And I thought your response was spot on. I would add, and this is this was a new book for me recently, and I don't know the author, Rewire Your Anxious Brain. Ooh, but love it, it. articulated for me the first time it said there's two pathways to anxiety. One is through cognitions, so it's the thoughts, it's what your mind would say to you. What if I can't get a job? What if I get my degree and I don't like it? What if right. it actually comes through cognitions? And the other comes right up through the amygdala. Uh -huh. It's not even linked to a thought. It's more of a, we call it somatic experience. You, it's felt in the body. Uh -huh. And both, both are needed wired in by God, but also helpful to start to tease out. So even since reading this book, I can weave into my work. I can pretty quickly tell if somebody's anxiety is fueled more so by cognitions uh -huh. or by that more somatic experiencing. It's basically like, you know, my nervous system is always tracking for any hint of threat. And I might see it in somebody's facial expression or a might come a song on the radio that I'm reminded of these right. subtle cues yeah. that boom, there goes my amygdala and has me ready. So what is, you said the word somatic. What does that mean? You know, it's just a way that we talk about experiences in the body, okay. felt experiences uh -huh. that often link with emotion. Some people have much more of an awareness of my tension or my shortness of breath things that they feel in their body even more so than that they actually can name emotional experience uh -huh. called somatic. Would you say it is the experience of most people that as they grow out of teenager, young adult, into adulthood or whatever, that there's a lack of language? So I think a part of what we're talking about in there is insight into the internal experience. So... I think some families are really well equipped to talk about emotion, to name emotion, to train or cue their kids what to do when they feel sad or mad. And I think other families are not so well equipped at that. They feel it just as much, but patterns emerge for very good reason where families are not as expressive or articulate. And so I've worked with adults in the therapy setting who, when I say, I'm just curious, what do you feel? And they don't know, uh -huh. right? And all that is they haven't really strengthened that connection between mind and body. And then sometimes we'll say, oh, where do you feel that, right? Wow. I had like a, in your physical body. That's right. The place. That's right. I had a woman in her 50s who had really gotten really an amazing journey with God. And she came back. She came to session one day and she said, why do you ask me where do I feel things in my body? And I talked to her a little bit like I am with you, that mind-body connection. And sometimes that's not so strong. And I said, what, what prompts your question? She said, I was walking out last week 
and I had this feeling and she put her hand right on her chest and she said it was warm. And I said, good warm? Oh yeah. She said, what was that? I said, I can't be sure, but it sounds like joy. And she said, I wondered. Oh my gosh. And a gentleman had held the door for her. She was coming out of therapy. And then there was that mind-body connection where for one of the first times she had language to go, it's warm. I feel that. Probably that's been present. But sometimes, you know, as we are growing on this journey of becoming, that is just not very strong yet, the mind-body connection. What do I feel and where do I feel it? Wow. Okay. In your journey, so you had an undergrad degree in social work and you knew you wanted to help people. But beyond that, not quite so clear. <laughs> That's right. Okay. <laughs> That's my testimony right there. <laughs> That's it. Did you investigate? Here are my options. All these different master's degrees or did you look at seminary? Did you look at other things? How wide was the yeah, how the investigative I... circle or whatever until you honed in? Or did you just know? <laughs> so definitely not just knowing and definitely not doing my diligence on the research. I think I wanted to feel my way toward oh, the right so cool. thing. Yeah. I don't know if it's <laughs> the best approach. But looking back, and I was thinking about one of the questions that you had said we might talk about. How did I get to social work? My mom was a quiet person. She was often, she took roles. She was a nurse for many years, and then she ran a dental practice. So she would often take behind-the-scenes roles in community or groups. She often was Mm -hmm. quieter, and she also had this incredible confidence and wisdom. She passed away about Mm. two years ago, and Mm. in her study, there was a book on the right side on endurance, and there was a book on the left side, the pursuit of holiness, and there were little note cards that she would drop into cards for people. She had this really larger-than-life presence of wisdom of reaching out to to care for others well, but not in a center stage kind of way. I don't know that I set out to be like my mom, but I think my work as a social worker, when it's going well, I feel a little bit like my mom. I loved the way in her life people would come to me, like the younger lady she worked with, and they would say, your mom's so great, so great. But it was a quiet presence, wisdom, rootedness in God's word. And then my dad, my dad was a manager in his field. He was a person who career-wise would stretch himself. And he also had very much a presence of anxiety. And when I got to about college, he was pretty free to talk about that. Wow. And I think I was inspired by that. So I think that those were... You know, if it's sort of like a thread, these different strands, I think those were probably some of the strands that gave me that longing toward it. Mm-hmm. And probably even just a curiosity, would it take care of my own anxiety issues if I could really learn and 
embrace this field. So I stumbled upon it. Mm-hmm. The short Got it. answer. The Lord. Yeah. God, thank the Lord. Yeah. That I could stumble upon it. Yeah. Not a carefully laid plan in my case. Was it the kind of process where you had this vague idea and then as maybe thoughts came to you or ideas came to you or somebody made a comment about something that kind of piqued your interest or maybe an opportunity was presented to you, then you would just step that way? Yeah. This is your good process question and I love this and I actually had a couple of thoughts here. What was the process? And I think the first step was my longing. I think that was wired in. Uh Uh-huh. So if there was a doing part on that, it was permission to name that, to say it out loud. Uh I think I meant to do something and I'm not sure what it is. Uh I'm not doing it yet. Uh That was one. And then I think two, you just articulated it. It was this space of collecting ideas, letting myself wonder. Sometimes we call it white space. Yeah, I like that word. Every idea Uh gets to exist. No more shooting down ideas. Uh Just everything gets to float and exist a bit. I think in that collecting ideas, I also just quietly in my mind, I found a couple of women that that inspired me Uh and would just watch them just trying to learn and build up in myself courage. And then I think the third step for me was to go. Uh-huh. Wanted to have this carefully laid plan and I couldn't. Okay. So for me, it really was just go. And then it was the Lord's work of some doors closed, some experiences not going well, others very interesting to me. And it really was like, like God would shine a light and say, go here and then do that and Uh then here. Uh So it almost, I'm reminded of the story in Exodus, how he led the people in the wilderness, Uh right? Uh, Go here and then here. And sometimes it felt illogical. Right. Mine was very much more so that than I had mapped it out. Right. Yeah. So constant discovery, really. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Constant discovery. How did your family react or dialogue with you about the possibility of going in this new direction or adding this element to your life? Yeah. I think that I was... I was understated about it in a lot of relationships because I didn't know where it would take me or even if I would finish it. But I have to give credit to my husband who was great. He really fanned the flame for me to try. And within our relationship agreed that trying would be succeeding. And that was powerful for me to not have somebody who was already looking down the road, what would be the net, the results, right? that the trying would be enough inherently on its own. Wow. Yeah. How old were your kids when you began? I think Marcus, my youngest, was getting into kindergarten. And then I wow. took my very first class in grad school. And I did it part-time. It took me several years. I wasn't in a rush at that point. I could enjoy the journey. Was it a local university that you went to? Yeah. 
during yeah. the school day or something? Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Often. Yeah. That was good. In your program, at what point did you get a vision for how you would use it? <laughs> Not or, for a long time. Okay. I went through the whole program reminding myself and my family, I'm never going to be a therapist. Really? No. Really? No. Nope, I couldn't. I, my mind could yeah. not take in that much. Uh huh. But I am going to take this class. Yep. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so I just kept reminding people the things I wasn't <laughs> going to do ever. Uh huh. And so that I could focus on the task at hand. So when did that change? So I finished my graduate program. I took a whole year staying in the job that I was already in, a part time job that I loved. And I had a lot of freed up space. I took a year to recover and I went right to Heritage where I'm working still. I have the uh, just amazing people that I work with. But one of the things they did was partnered me with Carla Skemper, my clinical supervisor, who pretty much took my hand and walked me through the rest of the journey. It really was chain of events, uh-huh. piece by piece. Uh-huh. You mentioned a couple of books. What other books would you recommend for, number one, somebody who is journeying through a place of fear and or somebody who feels this longing sure. for something new? This one that I referred to earlier, Rewire Your Anxious Brain. Yes, okay. I think it will pop up. There might okay. even be more than one with that title. It's excellent. There's so many good resources I yeah. got an email last week from a client. Boy, she did good work, and I hadn't heard from her in years. She stopped the therapy process. She sent me an email about three weeks ago, basically said, shortly after I stopped meeting with you, I had the urge to read the Bible. Awesome. And this was not a person of faith. We had never talked about faith. She said, I tried to shake off that idea, and I couldn't. Amaze. Amazing. So I read it from cover to cover in two months. No. Someday I want to ask her, how did you get through Leviticus? Yeah, but totally. She did, and she said it changed me. Wow. It yeah. gave me peace Yeah, like I've not ever had, and it hasn't gone away. So, yeah. Super cool. Pam. Super cool. Thank you very much. It's so fun. It has been delightful. <laughs> it has been for me as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thank you for the work that you do. Thanks yeah. for sharing. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning into the True and Beautiful podcast. We'll be hearing from Pam again really soon. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone that you think might find it meaningful. I'll talk to you soon.